Part One of Hippias Major. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Geoffrey Edwards. Hippias Major by Plato. Translated by George Burgess. Part One Persons of the Dialogue Socrates and Hippias. Socrates. O oh, thou, the handsome and clever Hippias, after how long a time hast thou now again arrived at Athens? Hippias. I have had no leisure time, Socrates, for when Ellis wants to transact any business with any other state, she always comes to me the first, selecting me as an ambassador from the citizens, from her conceiving that I am the most competent to be a judge of the arguments urged by each of the states, and to report upon them. Hence I have often gone to other cities as an ambassador, but most frequently, and on points the most in number, and of greatest importance, to Lacedaemon. Hence it is why, as regards your question, I do not often come to these parts. Socrates. This it is, Hippias, to be a person truly wise and accomplished. For as a private individual you are able to obtain no little money from young men, and to impart more benefit than you receive. And as a public man are able to do your own state good service, as he should do, who would not be held in contempt, but be in good repute with the many. But, Hippias, what is the reason why those men of the olden time, whose names are so renowned for wisdom, Pittacus and Bias, and Thales of Miletus, and his disciples, and those who come after, down to Anaxagoras, appear all, or most of them, to have kept aloof from public affairs. Hippias. What else, Socrates, can you suppose, than that they were unable, or not sufficiently fit, to reach by their intellect to both subjects, public and private? Socrates. Shall we then, by Zeus, affirm, that as the other arts have improved, and the operatives of former times were of no mark as compared with those of the present, so the art of you, sophists, has improved likewise, and that those of the ancients who were engaged in the study of wisdom were persons of no mark in comparison with you? Hippias, you speak perfectly correctly. Socrates, if then Hippias were biased to come now to life again, he would be exposed to ridicule as compared with you, just as our modern statuaries assert that Daedalus, were he alive to execute such works as those from which he gained his great name, would become ridiculous? Hippias. It is as you say, Socrates. I am, however, accustomed myself to praise highly the men of the olden time, or even our immediate predecessors before, and, more than the moderns, acting with a feeling of caution as regards the envy of the living, and of fear as regards the anger of the dead. Socrates. Correctly, Hippias, as it seems to me, are you thinking upon and considering the matter? And I too can testify that you are speaking the truth, and that your art has in reality improved in enabling you to transact public affairs conjointly with private. For Gorgias, the great sophist of Leontium came hither on an embassy from his country, as being the man most competent among the Leontines to transact public affairs, and was thought to speak the best before the people here. 
and at the same time, by making a display of his powers in private, and associating with young men, he gained and carried away great sums of money from this city. Or, if you wish for another instance, our friend, Prodicus himself, has frequently come hither in a public capacity from elsewhere. But on arriving the last time, not long since, publicly from chaos, and speaking before the council, he was held in high repute, and by making a display of his powers in private, and associating with young men, he gained a wonderful heap of money. But of those ancient sages, not one ever thought proper to demand money by way of a fee for making a display of their wisdom before persons of all climes. Such simpletons were they, and so completely did it escape them that money was a thing of great value, whereas each of the preceding made more money from his wisdom than has any operative in whatever trade you will, and even prior to these did Protagoras. Hippias. You know nothing, Socrates, about these beautiful things, for if you knew how much money I have made, you would be amazed. The other instances I pass by. But having gone once to Sicily, while Protagoras was residing there in high repute, and rather advanced in years, I did, although much younger, gain in a very short time more than one hundred fifty mina. Nay, from Inukum, a very small town, I took above twenty. This, when I arrived home, I carried and gave to my father, so that it struck him and the rest of the citizens with wonder and astonishment, and I almost think I have made more money than any two sophists together, whom you choose to name. Socrates. You bring forward, Hippias, truly a good and great proof, both of your own wisdom and of the men of the present day, how superior they are as compared with those of the olden time. For of your predecessors, down to Anaxagoras, great is proclaimed the folly, according to your statement. For to Anaxagoras, they say, happened the very opposite to what has befallen you. For of the great wealth left him he took no care, and lost it all. In so silly a manner did he act the sophist. And of the other ancient sages, other stories of a similar kind are told. You seem, then, to produce this as a good proof of the wisdom of the moderns as compared with the ancients, and many indeed agree with you that the wise man should be wise for himself especially, and of such a person this is the one definition, he who can make the most money. Let this then suffice, and now tell me from which of the cities whither you went did you gain the greatest money? Is it not plain it was from Sparta, whither you went the oftenest? Hippias. Not by Zeus from thence, Socrates. Socrates. How say you? The least, then? Hippias. Never anything at all. Socrates. A monstrous and marvellous account you are giving, Hippias. But tell me, has not that wisdom of yours the power to make those who associate with you and learn it better as regards virtue? Hippias. Yes, very much so, Socrates. Socrates. Were you then able to make the sons of the Inutians better, but unable to make the sons of the Spartans? Hippias. Far from it. Socrates. Are the Siciliots desirous of becoming better, but the Spartans not? Hippias. The Lacedaemonians are, Socrates, very desirous. Socrates. Was it then from their want of money that they shunned your society? Hippias. By no means, for they have enough of it. Socrates. What then could it be? that although they were desirous of virtue, 
and had money, and you were able to benefit them to the greatest extent, they did not send you away loaded with wealth. Was it that the Lacedaemonians can educate their sons better than you? Shall we say this, and do you concede it is so? Hippias, by no manner of means, Socrates. Were you then unable to persuade the young men at Lacedaemon that by associating with you they would make a greater progress in virtue than by associating with their own people? Or were you unable to persuade their fathers that they ought to hand over their children to you rather than take that care upon themselves, if they had any regard for their children? For surely they did not grudge their sons becoming as virtuous as possible. Hippias, I do not think they felt any grudge. Socrates, in good truth, Lacedaemon is a well-regulated city. Hippias, how not? Socrates, now, in well-regulated cities, virtue is most highly prized. Hippias, certainly. Socrates, and to impart this to another, you know the best of all men. Hippias, by much so, Socrates. Socrates, now, would not the man who could best impart the art of horsemanship be the most honoured and acquire the most wealth in Thessaly, or wherever else in Greece this art is cultivated the most? Hippias, it is likely. Socrates, will he then, who can impart instruction of the greatest value with respect to virtue, be honoured the most and make the most money if he wishes it, not at Lacedaemon and any other of the well-regulated states in Greece, but in Sicily rather, as you think, my friend, or at Inukum? Shall we, Hippias, give credit to this? For if you command, I must do so. Hippias, it is not, Socrates, the custom of the country for the Lacedaemonians to disturb their laws, nor to educate their children contrary to established usages. Socrates, how say you? Think you that it is the custom of the country for the Lacedaemonians not to act correctly, but to do wrong? Hippias, I would not say so, Socrates. Socrates, would they not do right then to educate their sons in the better way and not in the worse? Hippias, they would do right, but it is not lawful for them to give a foreign education, since, rest assured, that if any one else ever took away money from thence by teaching, I should have taken by much the most, for they delight greatly in listening to me, and give me praise. But, what I am saying is not law. Socrates. Say you, Hippias, that the law is an injury or a benefit to a state. Hippias. It is enacted, I presume, for a benefit, but sometimes the law, when improperly enacted, does an injury. Socrates. What then? Do not they who enact a law lay it down as the greatest good to a state? For without law it is impossible to live in a state of good government. Hippias. You speak the truth. Socrates. When, therefore, they who undertake to frame laws fail in procuring a good, they have missed what is lawful and law? Or how say you? Hippias. Accurately speaking, Socrates, such is the case. But men are not used to give that name. Socrates. Do you mean, Hippias, those who know the truth, or who do not know it? Hippias. I mean the many. Socrates. Are the many, then, those who know the truth? Hippias, certainly not. Socrates, but surely they who do know it do in reality conceive that what is to all men more beneficial is more agreeable to law 
than what is less beneficial? Or do not you grant this? Hippias, I grant that they do hold so in reality. Socrates, do not things exist, and are in the state, as those who are knowing conceive? Hippias, undoubtedly. Socrates, now it is, as you assert, more beneficial for the Lacedaemonians to receive a foreign education under yourself, than after the system of their own country. Hippias, and I assert the truth. Socrates, because what is more beneficial is more conformable to law, and this Hippias, do you say? Hippias, I have so said. Socrates, according then to your reasoning, it is more conformable to law for the sons of the Lacedaemonians to be instructed by Hippias, and less so by their fathers, if perchance they shall in reality be more benefited under you. Hippias, and benefited they would be Socrates. Socrates, the Lacedaemonians then act contrary to law, in not giving you their gold, and committing their sons to your care. Hippias, in this I agree with you, for you seem to produce an argument in my favor, and there is no need for me to oppose it. Socrates, we find then, my friend, the Lacedaemonians to act contrary to law, and this too in matters of the greatest moment, they who are thought to be most observant of law. And yet, by the gods, did they praise you, and were delighted at hearing, what? Or is it not evident that the subjects were those which you know the best, relating to the stars and celestial events? Hippias, not at all. Such subjects they cannot endure. Socrates, but they delight in hearing something about geometry. Hippias, not at all, for many of them know not, so to say, even how to reckon. Socrates, they are then far from enduring you while making a display on the keeping of accounts? Hippias, very far indeed by Zeus. Socrates, but the subjects then were those in which you can the most accurately of all men draw distinctions, respecting the powers of letters and syllables, and rhythms and harmonies. Hippias, what harmonies or letters, my good man? Socrates, what then are the subjects which they gladly hear from you and commend? Tell me yourself, since I cannot find them. Hippias, Respecting the genealogy, Socrates, of their heroes and men, and settlements of tribes, and how cities were founded of old, and, in a word, to everything relating to archaeology, they listen with the greatest pleasure, so that I was forced to learn my lesson myself thoroughly for their sakes, and to practice myself well on those points. Socrates by Zeus Hippias, you were fortunate in that the Lacedaemonians did not take a delight in hearing a man who could reckon up our archons from the time of Solon, for otherwise you would have had some trouble in learning the list. Hippias, how so, Socrates? Upon hearing fifty names only once, I can repeat them from memory. Socrates, you speak the truth, but I did not bear in mind that you had a system of mnemonics, so that I understand why reasonably enough, the Lacedaemonians are pleased with you as being a person who knows many things, and they make use of you, as children do of old women, to tell them pretty stories. Hippias. And by Zeus Socrates, I was lately in high repute there, by going through a lecture upon the honorable pursuits to which a young person should devote himself. For I have by me a very beautiful discourse upon that subject, well put together in other respects, and in the words.
the form and commencement of the discourse is something of this kind. After Troy was taken, the story goes, that Neoptolemus inquired of Nestor what were the honourable pursuits a young man should follow to gain a good name. Upon this Nestor is the speaker, and suggests a great many and very excellent precepts laid down by law. Of this dissertation I made a display there, and on the third day hence I intend to display it here, and several other pieces of mine, worth the hearing in the school of Philostratus. For so has Eutychus the son of Apimantus requested. See, then, that you are present yourself, and bring with you others, who on hearing will be competent to decide upon what is then said. Socrates. This, if a god is willing, Hippias, shall be. But at present, answer me a short question relating to it, for you have opportunely put me in mind of it. A certain person has, thou best of men, very lately, during some conversations, thrown me into a difficulty, when I was finding fault with some things as being ugly, and praising others as being beautiful, by asking me, in a very saucy manner, From whence do you, Socrates, know, said he, what things are beautiful, and what ugly? Come then, tell me, if you can say a word, what is the beautiful? And I, through my want of wit, was at a loss, and had it not in my power to answer him with propriety. So, quitting his company, I grew angry with and vented reproaches upon myself, and threatened that the first time I met with any of you wise men I would hear his opinion and learn it, and, after studying it thoroughly, that I would return to my questioner and fight out again the matter with him. Now, therefore, as I said, you are come opportunely, and do you instruct me sufficiently what is beauty in the abstract, and endeavour to give me as accurately as possible your answers, in order that I may not be confuted a second time, and pay the penalty of a laugh against myself? For assuredly you know it quite clearly, and it would be but a mite of the learning with which you are conversant on so many points. Hippias, by Zeus, I might indeed, Socrates, and, so to say, of no value at all. Socrates, easily then shall I learn it, and no one will hereafter confute me. Hippias, not one indeed, for otherwise mean would be my profession, and suited to a common person. Socrates, by Juno, Hippias, you speak bravely, if we shall get the man into our clutches. But shall I be any hindrance by imitating him, if I lay hold of your arguments, while answering me, in order that you may exercise me the most? for I am nearly skilful in laying hold of arguments. If, then, it makes no difference to you, I am willing to lay hold of them, in order that I may learn with greater strength. Hippias, take hold, then, for, as I said just now, the question is not a great one, and I will teach you to answer questions much more difficult than this, so that not a single person will be ever able to confute you. Socrates, ye gods, how bravely you talk! But come, since you bid me, I will become him, and, as well as I can, try to question you. Now, if you shall give the lecture you mention upon beautiful pursuits, he will, after hearing it, when you have ceased speaking, inquire about nothing else except about the beautiful, for such a habit he has, and he will say, Art not, see, thou stranger from Ellis, the just just through justness, 
Answer now, Hippias, as if he were questioning you. Hippias, I answer through justness. Socrates, there is then such a thing as justness? Hippias, clearly so. Socrates, are not then the wise wise through wisdom, and all that is good, good through goodness? Hippias, how not? Socrates, by those things existing really, for it is not surely by their non-existing. Hippias, by their existing really. Socrates, are not all things that are beautiful, beautiful through beauty? Hippias, yes, through beauty. Socrates, by such a thing existing? Hippias, by its existing, for what should it be? Socrates, tell me now, stranger, he will say, what is this beauty? Hippias, does he who asks this question want to know what is a beautiful thing? Socrates, I think not Hippias, but what is beauty? Hippias, how does this differ from that? Socrates, seems there to you no difference? Hippias, there is not any difference. Socrates, but however it is evident that you know better, consider, however good, sir, the question well. For he asks you, not what is a beautiful thing, but what is beauty. Hippias, I understand you, good sir, and I will answer his question, what is beauty? Nor shall I ever be confuted. For rest assured, Socrates, if the truth must be told that a beautiful maiden is a beautiful thing. Socrates, by the dog you have answered Hippias, beautifully and gloriously. Shall I then, when I answer thus, have answered the question correctly, and shall I never be refuted? Hippias, for how could you be refuted, Socrates, on that point which seems correct to all the world, and where all who hear you will testify in your favor that you are speaking properly? Socrates, be it so then, by all means. But come, Hippias, let me consider again with myself what you are saying, for the man will question me in some such manner as this. Come, Socrates, answer me. If beauty exists in the abstract, all those things which you say are beautiful, would these be beautiful? And I will then say that, if a beautiful maiden be a beautiful thing, through which the things would be beautiful. Hippias, think you then that he will still attempt to confute you by asserting that what you say is beautiful is not so, or that, should he attempt it, he will not be laughed down. Socrates, that he will, thou wondrous man, I am well assured. But whether, after making the attempt, he will be laughed down, the thing itself will show. However, I wish to tell you what he will say. Hippias, tell it then. Socrates, what a sweet creature, Socrates, he will say you are. Is not a beautiful mare, which even a god has praised in an oracle, a beautiful thing? What shall we answer, Hippias? Shall we say aught else, then, that the mare is beautiful? At least the beautiful. For how shall we dare to deny that a beautiful thing is beautiful? Hippias, you speak, Socrates, what is true, especially since the god rightly said it, for with us there are mares very beautiful. Socrates, be it so, he will say, but what, is not a beautiful lyre a beautiful thing? Shall we allow it, Hippias? Hippias, yes. Socrates, and after this he will say, as, guessing from his usual manner, I nearly know full well, my excellent fellow, is not a beautiful soup dish a beautiful thing? Hippias, who is this man, Socrates? What an uneducated fellow, 
who thus presumes to express himself in words so low in an affair so solemn. Socrates, such is the fellow Hippias, not a fine gentleman, but a man of the mob who cares for nothing but truth. He must, however, have an answer, and I appear speaking for him. If the soup-dish be made by a skilful potter, smooth and round, and well-baked, like some of the beautiful soup-dishes with two handles, containing six coos, very beautiful, if he inquires about such a soup-dish, we must confess it to be beautiful, for how could we say that what is beautiful is not beautiful? Hippias, not at all, Socrates. Socrates, is not a beautiful soup-dish, then, he will say, a beautiful thing? Answer, Hippias, but, Socrates, the case is, I think, this. Even such a vessel, when beautifully made, is a beautiful thing. But this taken as a whole does not deserve to be considered as beautiful as compared with a mare and a maiden and the other things of beauty. Socrates, be it so. I understand you, Hippias, that we must thus reply to the person who puts such a question. You are ignorant, my man, that correct is the saying of Heraclitus, that the most beautiful ape, as compared with another kind, is ugly, and that the most beautiful of soup-dishes is ugly, as compared with the maiden kind, as says Hippias the wise. Is it not so, Hippias? Hippias, you have answered Socrates, quite correctly. Socrates, here then, for I know well he will say after this, what then, Socrates, should any one compare maidenkind with godkind, would he not be in the same case as when the maidenkind was compared to the soup-dish kind? Would not the most beautiful maiden appear ugly? Or does not Heraclitus, whom you bring forward, say this very same thing, that the wisest of men, when compared with a god, appears an ape in wisdom and beauty, and everything else? Shall we confess, Hippias, the most beautiful maiden is ugly as compared with the god-kind? Hippias, yes, for who, Socrates, would gainsay this at least? Socrates, should, however, we confess this, he will laugh and say, Do you then remember, Socrates, what you were asked? I shall reply, I do. It was this. What is beauty in the abstract? Whereupon he will rejoin, when you are asked about beauty in the abstract, you answer by mentioning that which happens to be, as you say yourself, not more beautiful than ugly. So it seems, I shall say. Or what else, my friend, do you advise me to say? Hippias, this I advise you, for that the human kind, as compared with the gods, is not beautiful, he will say the truth. Socrates, if I had asked you at the outset, he will say, what is a thing beautiful and ugly? Had you answered me, as you have done just now, would you not have answered correctly? And still, does it seem to you that the beautiful itself, by which everything else is decorated and looks beautiful, whenever that species of beauty is present to it, is a maiden, or a mare, or a liar? Hippias, if this Socrates he is seeking, it is of all things the easiest for me to tell him in answer, what is that beauty by which all other things are decorated, and by which, being present, they appear beautiful? The man is the greatest simpleton, and knows nothing about beautiful chattels. For if you tell him in answer that the beautiful about which he is inquiring is nothing else than gold, he will be in a difficulty, and not attempt to confute you. For we all surely know that wherever gold is present to a thing, 
how ugly soever it may have seemed before, it will appear beautiful when it is decorated at least with gold. Socrates. You have no experience of the man, Hippias, how difficult he is, and admitting nothing easily. Hippias. What matters it, Socrates, for what is correctly asserted he must admit, or, not admitting it, be laughed at. Socrates. And yet he will not only not admit this answer, thou best of men, but he will treat me with derision, and say, O thou, puffed up with conceit, thinkest thou that Phidias was a bad workman? And I shall reply, I think so, by no manner of means. Hippias. And you will answer rightly, Socrates. Socrates. Rightly, indeed. Hereupon, when I have confessed that Phidias was a good workman, he will say, Do you imagine, then, that Phidias was ignorant of that which you call the beautiful? Why say you this especially, I shall reply? Because, he will rejoin, if Phidias has made the eyes of Athene not of gold, nor yet the rest of her face, nor the feet, nor even the hands, since a thing of gold would have looked the most beautiful, but not of ivory, it is evident that he erred in this through ignorance, not knowing that gold is that which makes all things beautiful, wherever it is present. When he says this, what answer, Hippias, shall we give him? Hippias, the answer is not difficult, for we will see that he acted rightly, for ivory is, I presume, beautiful likewise. Socrates, why then, he will rejoin, did he not make the middle part of the eyes of ivory but of stone, having found in the stone a similarity as great as was possible to ivory? Or is a beautiful stone a beautiful thing? Shall we say so, Hippias? Hippias, we will say so, if it is becoming. Socrates, but where it is unbecoming it is ugly. Shall I confess it or not? Hippias, confess, at least when it, the stone, is not becoming. Socrates, what then he will say, do not ivory and gold, thou wise acre, when they are becoming, cause things to appear beautiful, but when not, ugly. Shall we deny this, or acknowledge the man to be in the right? Hippias, we must acknowledge this at least, that whatever is becoming to any individual thing, causes it to appear beautiful. Socrates, when, then, he will say some one shall have cooked the beautiful soup-dish, of which we have been speaking, full of beautiful porridge, whether does a ladle of gold become it, or one of fig-tree wood? Hippias, by Hercules, of what kind of fellow, Socrates, are you speaking? Will you not tell me who he is? Socrates, no, for you would not know him, should I tell you his name. Hippias, but I know already that he is some ignorant fellow. Socrates, he is a man of much thought, Hippias. But, however, what shall we say? Which of the two ladles becomes the porridge and the soup-dish? Or is it clearly the one of fig-tree wood? For this makes the porridge of a pleasanter flavor. And at the same time, my friend, it would not, by breaking the soup-dish, let the porridge run out, and extinguish the fire, and cause the guests, just about to feast on it, to be without a very noble dish. But all this the one of gold would do so that it seems to me we ought to say that the one of fig-tree wood is more becoming than the one of gold, unless, indeed, you say otherwise. Hippias, it is indeed, Socrates, more becoming, but for my part I would not converse with a fellow who asked such questions as these. Socrates, and rightly so, my friend, for it would not become you to be polluted with such dirty words, you in a dress so beautiful, 
and with such beautiful sandals, and in such high repute amongst all the Greeks for wisdom. But for me it is nothing to mix myself up with the dirt of the man. Teach me then beforehand, and for my sake give a reply, for the man will say, if the ladle of fig-tree wood be indeed more becoming than the one of gold, is it not more beautiful, especially since you have confessed that the becoming is more beautiful than the unbecoming? Shall we confess that the ladle of fig-tree wood is more beautiful than the one of gold? Hippias, do you wish me, Socrates, to say that, by saying which, I think, you will free yourself from his much talking? Socrates, by all means, but not before you tell me which of the two ladles that we have been speaking of is the more becoming and more beautiful. Hippias, well then, if you will, tell him in answer that it is the one made from the fig tree. Socrates, now say what you were just about to say, for in this answer by which I assert that gold is the beautiful, gold will not, as it seems to me, appear to be at all a thing more beautiful than fig tree would. But what do you now say is the beautiful? Hippias, I will tell you, for you seem to me to seek to answer a question of this kind. What is that beauty which at no time and in no place will appear ugly to any one? Socrates, by all means, Hippias, and now you understand me perfectly well. Hippias, listen then, for rest assured that if any man has anything to say against this, I will say that I know nothing whatever. Socrates, by the gods, then, tell it as quickly as possible. Hippias, I assert, then, that it is at all times, and to all persons, and in all places, the most beautiful thing for a man in wealth, health, and in honour amongst the Greeks, and having reached old age, and having laid his deceased parents handsomely in the grave, to be buried himself by his own children in a handsome and splendid manner. Socrates, capital Hippias, how wondrous well and gorgeously, and how worthy of yourself have you spoken, and by Juno I am delighted with you for the good will with which, as far as you can, you assist me. But we do not as yet reach the man's mind, but he will laugh the most at us, rest assured. Hippias, truly a silly laugh, Socrates, for when he shall have nothing to say against this, and merely laugh, he will laugh at himself and be the laughing-stock of all who are present. Socrates, such perhaps will be the case. Perhaps, however, after such an answer, there will be a danger, as I prophesy, of his not merely laughing at me. Hippias, what then? Socrates, that, should he happen to have a staff in his hand, unless I escape from him by flight, he will endeavour to reach me with a smart blow. Hippias, how say you? Is the man a master of yours? And, will he not, for having done so, be brought to trial and pay damages? Or is your state not under the laws of justice, and permits the citizens to beat each other unjustly? Socrates, by no manner of means does it permit them. Hippias, will he then not suffer punishment for striking you unjustly? Socrates, I think not, Hippias, not at all, if I gave such an answer, but justly, as it seems to me, Hippias, it seems then so to me, Socrates, especially since you are of that opinion yourself. Socrates, shall I then state why I think I should be justly beaten on giving such an answer? Or will you too beat me without a trial? Or will you receive a reason? Hippias, it would be hard indeed, Socrates, 
if I did not receive it. But how say you? Socrates, I will speak to you in the same manner as I did just now, when imitating that person, in order that I may not say to you what he will to me, words both harsh and producing an angry feeling. For rest assured, he will say, Tell me, Socrates, do you think a person would receive blows unjustly, who should chaunt such a long rigmarole, little in unison with, and far distant from, the question proposed? How so, I shall reply. How, he will rejoin? Cannot you remember that I asked you, what is the beauty that enables everything to which it is present to become beautiful, be it stone, or wood, or man, or god, or any act, or any science? For I am asking man, what is beauty in the abstract, and yet I am no more able to bawl anything into you than if you were lying by my side a stone, and this too a millstone, without ears and brains. Now, Hippias, would not you be annoyed if I, in a fright, were to say after this abuse, Nay, it was Hippias who said that this was the beautiful, although I asked him, as you do me, what is the beautiful to all persons and things, and at all times. What say you? Will you not be annoyed if I say so? Hippias, I am quite certain, Socrates, that what I said is the beautiful in every case, will appear so. Socrates, but will it be so? he will say, for surely the beautiful must always be beautiful. Hippias, certainly. Socrates, and always was so, he will say. Hippias, it was. Socrates, did the Elian stranger assert, he will say, that it was a beautiful thing for Achilles to be buried after his progenitors, and for his grandfather, Aeacus, and the others born of the gods, and even the gods themselves? Hippias, what is this? Hurl him to the blessed land. Such questions as these of the fellow Socrates are not to be spoken even as being of ill omen. Socrates, how so? It is surely no very ill-omened speech when one person asks a question for the other to say. Such is the fact. Hippias, perhaps so. Socrates, perhaps then you are the man he will say who asserts that it is a beautiful thing for every person and at all times to be buried by his descendants and to bury his parents. Now was not Hercules one of the all? And those two whom we have just now mentioned? Hippias, but I did not say it was so for the gods. Socrates, nor for the heroes, as it seems. Hippias, nor for such as were children of the gods. Socrates, but for such only as were not? Hippias, certainly. Socrates, According to your reasoning, then, it seems, that amongst the heroes it was a grievous and unholy thing for Tantalus, and Dardanus, and Zethus, but to Pelops, and to the others so born, it was a beautiful thing. Hippias, so it seems to me. Socrates, it seems then to you, he will say, what you have lately denied, that to some persons, and at some times, it is not a beautiful thing after burying their progenitors to be buried by their progeny, and further, as it seems, that this cannot take place to all, and be a beautiful thing, so that this very thing is in the same case as those before, namely the maiden and the soup-dish, and still more ridiculously, to some it is a beautiful thing, but to others it is not beautiful." And even today he will say, you are unable, Socrates, to answer the question, touching the beautiful, what it is. In these, or such like terms, will he reproach me justly, should I answer him in this manner, 
for very nearly after this fashion, Hippias, does he for the most part converse. Sometimes, however, as if in pity for my want of skill and learning, he proposes a problem and asks if such a thing as this seems to be the beautiful, or he talks upon any other subject which he happens to have heard, and about which there is a talk. Hippias, how say you, Socrates, this? End of part one of Hippias Major.